What's up, Embassy City? So good to be with you today. Not only to be with you, but to be back with you. Uh, As my brother Tim mentioned, my name is Robert. Uh, I live right here in the great country of Texas and uh, have an amazing wife, Taylor. We have three little humans, and I am beyond excited to share the word of God with you today. If you didn't know, I'm already a part of the Embassy City family. And uh, we're for real family now because now I'm in your living room or in your kitchen or your car or wherever you're watching this from today. Uh, you need to know God has a word for you and I'm excited to preach it. But before I do, I want to pause for a moment and thank God for my dear friend, for my brother, Pastor Tim Ross, Embassy City. I hope you know how blessed you are to have him and Juliet as your pastors. Tim and I go way, 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 way back. And uh, he has been an incredible friend a leader and just a brother to me. And so I'm so thankful for him. And uh, he has really the relational equity to get anybody uh, to stand in his pulpit and preach. So I'm so honored to share the word of God with you today. And we're going to jump straight into it. I want you to go with me to the gospel according to Mark, Mark chapter eight. And we're going to look at verses 14 through 21. Mark chapter eight, start at verse 14 and we'll land to verse 21. Now, as you're watching, you got to know you cannot let screen fatigue kick in. I know online church has been going on for a while. You still have to stay engaged. I need fire emoticons in the chat. Uh, Get some praise hands. Just make sure you're responsive uh, to the word of God, because I believe this is for somebody. Mark chapter eight, starting at verse 14. And it says the disciples have forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful. Jesus warned them, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And they discussed this with one another and said, it is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? How many of you know whenever Jesus asks a question, the question is never for him. It is always for you. There is something he's trying to get you to understand, something he's trying to get you to see that you're not seeing. He goes on to say, do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? I want to put a title to this text today and preach to you from this subject. Don't forget to remember. Don't forget to remember. How many of you know it is in seasons of difficulty? It is in seasons of challenge that many times we remember the things that we should forget and we forget the things that we should remember. Come on, am I the only one whenever you're just having a bad day and you're feeling low? Uh, I don't remember all the encouraging texts and emails that I've gotten. I remember all the crazy, mean comments from people who have no profile picture and their username on Instagram. Those are the ones that flood my mind because it is the human tendency to remember the things we should forget and forget the things we should remember. But there's something in this passage that Jesus is going, don't forget to remember. Come on, let's pray before we go into this word. Father, thank you for your word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but your word shall stand forever. Speak to our hearts today. We are ready to hear from you. In Jesus' name, everybody watching said, amen. Don't forget 
to remember. Ladies and gentlemen, I regret to inform you that the year 2020 still isn't over. Come on, is it just me or does it feel like this year has been going on for half a century? Come on, I don't think it's an exaggeration or even hyperbole to say this has been the year that has changed the world. Come on, every year has its challenges. Every year has its changes. Every year has its problems. But not every year has such a paradigm shift where you are left with more complexity than there is clarity. Come on, you are left with more questions than you have answers. You're trying to figure out right now, am I living at work or am I working for home? Am I an entrepreneur or am I now a homeschool teacher because these kids are in the house? So many questions. This has been the year. 2020 has changed the game. The irony of 2020, the year that many of us associate with vision, and yet this is the year we're seeing things that nobody saw coming. And if you're like me, uh, earlier this year, I was having some intense intercession, uh, also known as complaining. And uh, I was telling God, hey, uh, I'm seeing some things I did not plan for. This was not on my schedule. And God said something to me that I want to say to you, Embassy City. He said, don't forget to remember, Robert, you prayed for this year. I said, hold up, wait a minute. No, I did not pray for anything I'm seeing this year. He said, oh, yes, you did. You got anointed amnesia. Don't forget to remember you prayed for this year. You're the one that said at the beginning of 2020, God, I want you to change me this year. You're the one that said at the beginning of 2020, God, I want to go deeper with you this year. You're the one that said that God, no matter what it takes for me to get more of you, I'm willing to get more. I said, God, I said no such thing. Embassy City, you know it's bad uh, when God takes you to your own Instagram page and reminds you of the first sermon you preach this year. Can I show you the clip of the first sermon I preached in 2020? Watch this real quick. Woo! I'm telling you, ah, whatever it takes for me to get more, I want more. I didn't know it was going to be this. And isn't it interesting the space, the chasm that we have between who we want to be and what it's going to take for us to become that. Isn't it interesting how many of us say things like, oh, God, I want to be changed, but we don't want to be challenged. We say, God, I want to go deeper with you, but don't disrupt my schedule. Don't mess up my routine. God, God, I want to trust you more, but don't let my bank account get too low. But can I tell you today, God will disrupt you. God knows how to wreck your calendar. He knows how to use things to shape you, to push you into your purpose. Oh, please don't get it twisted. He did not cause this pandemic, but he is using this pandemic to wake some of us up into who we have been called and created to be because God will disrupt you. You can put a do not disturb sign on the door if you want, but I'm telling you, you serve a God that will kick that door down because he is more committed to your transformation than he is to your comfort and God will disrupt you. He will disturb you, if I can say it like that. In fact, that's what Jesus did on the earth. Almost every day he woke up, it was like the disciples are looking at him going, what are we going to do today, Jesus? He's like, the same thing we do every day. We're going to comfort the disturbed and we're going to disturb the comfortable. And that's what he did as he moved in the earth. He was always comforting the disturbed, but he was disturbing the comfortable to wake them up 
into who they were called to be. And that's what he's doing in my text today. I love this passage because Jesus, he's a little bit annoyed. He's a little bit perturbed and there's layers to his annoyance. And it starts because, you know, he has been healing the sick, raising the dead, moving in signs and wonders, walking on water. He's just fed four thousand people multiplying fish and bread and after that miracle he encounters the stuck up pretentious arrogant religious Pharisees who are probably still munching on the fish and bread he just multiplied and they have the nerve to say to him Jesus show us a sign that you are really sent from God He's like, are you for real? Have you not been paying attention to what I've been doing? And he refuses to give them a sign because Jesus understood. I know who I am, so I have nothing to prove. Can I pause right there and tell somebody who is watching online? There is no freedom like knowing you have nothing to prove to anybody because you know who you are and whose you are. Jesus says, I'm not going to give you a sign because if you're paying attention, you would have seen what I've been doing, but this is not a lack of evidence. This is your unbelief. So I have nothing to prove. And he leaves from the Pharisees and he gets on a boat with the disciples. And as they're on the boat, they're discussing how they only have one loaf of bread. And Jesus says to them, be careful. Watch out. The disciples are like, what? Is a storm coming? He's like, no, be careful. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And the disciples are the only ones on the boat with Jesus with one loaf of bread. And they're looking around going, what is he talking about? Herod is not on this boat. The Pharisees are not on this boat. What the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod? What is Jesus saying? I love this because this is classic Jesus. How many of you know, if you read your Bible, you'll see that there are some conversations that happen with Jesus where people are completely confused about what he is saying. In fact, some of you today, you're like, oh, it would have been awesome to walk with the physical Jesus. I would have loved to have talked to him. No, it wouldn't. You would have been just as confused as the disciples were. You know why? Because Jesus was fully God and fully man. He was not a good man. He was a God man. He was God in flesh manifested among us deity and humanity in one. And when you are talking to somebody who is the complete fulfillment of deity and humanity, how many of you know the conversations are going to be confusing because sometimes the God in him is talking and sometimes the humanity in him is talking and the conversations get confusing. Come on, I'll give you an example. You remember the first miracle of Jesus where he turned the water into wine? Remember how that miracle got started? His mama, his mama comes up to him and says, baby, they ran out of wine at the wedding. Jesus' response to his mama was, Woman, what's that got to do with me? It's not my time. She's talking about they ran out of wine and he starts talking about time. What is Jesus saying? He's fully God. He is fully man. And the God in him, when he heard they were out of wine, he knew that that wine was a picture of his blood that was going to be shed for all of humanity. And how many know his blood had to be enough? It could not run out. It had to be enough to cover my sin and your sin and the sins of the world. So when she said wine, he started thinking about his blood that was going to be shed and said, hold up, it's not my time yet. Ooh, conversations with Jesus could be confusing. So that's what's happening on the boat. They're talking about having one loaf of bread and Jesus, in a sense, is saying, you ain't got one loaf of bread. 
you have two loaves of bread on this boat because you're holding bread and you're looking at bread. I am the bread of life. And bread said, be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. He's talking about himself. He is the bread of life. Yeast, yeast, yeast is a fungi that if you mix just a little bit in the dough of bread, a little bit of the yeast will contaminate the totality of the bread. Biblically, yeast is a metaphor for unbelief. It's a metaphor for sin. It is a metaphor for pride because how many know when you put yeast in the dough, it's what causes the bread to rise. That's why it's a metaphor for pride. He says, be careful of mixing sin, unbelief with the purity of who I am, because just a little bit can contaminate all of the bread. He said, be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees, the religious system and of Herod the political system. Be careful when you start mixing religion and politics in the bread of life, because if you mix religion and politics in it, it will contaminate who I am. If you think transformation is going to come through religion, your works, what you do or your record, you're going to mess up the bread because it's not your work. If you think transformation is going to become from your power or some political party being in office, you've got it twisted. I came to bring a kingdom and that kingdom is sustained by who I am. It is the bread of life. And they were still confused. They thought he was talking about actual bread. He was talking about himself. So they looked at each other and said, see, we should have brought more than one loaf. We're not going to have enough. He's like, oh, my God. No, I'm not talking about that bread. I'm talking about me. But since you want to talk about provision, I was talking about purity of who I am. But since you want to talk about provision, let's remember. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many leftovers did you have? They said 12. When I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many leftovers did you have? They said seven. He said, okay, well, let's look at kingdom math. That means the first time I did the miracle, we had less bread and fed more people and had more leftovers. Look at y'all talking about one loaf of bread and it's 12 of y'all and you're wondering if it's going to be enough. I think you're going to be all right. You know why? Because you got me on the boat. And as long as you have me, you're going to have every single thing that you need. Oh, how quick they were to forget the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. The Embassy City, here's where I got to parenthetically pause and I got to file a complaint. Got to file a complaint, not with the CDC. I want to file a complaint with the SSC, okay? The Sunday School Committee, okay? Because your boy was raised in church. I was raised in church, okay? old school church, all right? Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, missionary service, Tuesday night, prayer, Wednesday night. I'm talking about old school church. I'm talking about children's church was on the front row with a coloring book. Old school church, vacation Bible school, old school church. I'm talking about couldn't even celebrate Halloween. We had Hallelujah night where you dressed up as a Bible character. OK, you don't know uh, troubles until you walk into a costume store talking about y'all got that Ezekiel outfit. I'm talking about old school church. And in all my years of growing up in church and in Sunday school, I don't think I ever remember anybody telling me that the miracle where Jesus took the five loaves and the fish and multiplied it. He did that miracle not once. But twice that miracle of feeding the multitude happened 
twice. Some of y'all watching right now and proud Sunday school alumnus, you didn't know that that miracle of feeding the multitude happened twice. He fed the 5,000 and then a few months later he turned around and did it again and he fed the 4,000. And so many people just focus on the feeding of the 5,000. But I want to pause today and thank God not just for the feeding of the 5,000, I want to thank God for the feeding of the 4,000. Because the feeding of the 4,000 says to me that if God has ever made a way in your life once, that if God has ever brought you through anything once, that if God has ever opened up a door for you once, that if God has ever healed you before once, how many know he's got the power to do it again? That if he did it before, he can do it again. Oh, I don't know who this is for today that's watching online, but do not let the difficulty of this season of this pandemic make you make you doubt the power that your God has. If he has ever come through before, how many of you know he's got the power to do it again? Ooh, see, do not let the enemy make you think that his word has lost its power or its potency just because we're in a pandemic. Some of you right now need to pause and just review your history with God and remind yourself of the doors he's opened, of the ways that he made, because if he's done it before, he can do it again. He did that miracle twice. I think the feeding of the 4,000 and the feeding of the 5,000, this feeding of the multitude has to be looked at almost more than any other miracle, because this is one of the only miracles outside of the resurrection that is mentioned in all four gospels. All four gospel writers talk about this miracle. That means Jesus didn't want us to forget this miracle. Not only that, the fact that this is the only miracle mentioned besides the resurrection speaks to the fact that Jesus is not just concerned with the condition of my soul. He's also concerned about my need. That means he cares about my circumstance. How many know that's good news? That's good news to know that, yes, Jesus came to die for my sins. Yes, he cares about my soul and eternity, but he also cares about groceries. He also cares about your bills being paid. He cares about your need. He cares about the spiritual and the physical. He cares about both. And that's important for somebody to understand because you have to know that if it matters to you, it matters to God. If it's keeping you up at night, please know God is concerned about it. He's not just concerned with the spiritual. He is concerned with the physical needs as well. So I love about the miracles of Jesus because the miracles of Jesus don't just reveal his greatness. They reveal his goodness, that he cares about your need. Look at Jesus, who had the oratorical ability to captivate Thousands of people, thousands of people left everything to hear him preach. In the feeding of the 5,000, they forgot to eat for a whole day listening to Jesus preach. In the feeding of the 4,000, they forgot to eat for three days listening to Jesus preach. So you think you can preach? Come on. How many of you know you ain't preached until people won't eat for three days just trying to hear what you got to say? Some of y'all about to log off right now. Don't log off. Stay focused. Look at Jesus captivating thousands of people, but in the middle of his preaching, realize, wait a minute, I got to feed them because they're hungry. That means he cares about your soul, but he also cares about your need. Not only is that a message of Jesus' concern, it's also a mandate for the church that we cannot just be concerned with the transformation of souls if we are not actually meeting the needs of people. Thank God you're a part of a church that's going to do both. We're not just going to preach the gospel, but we're going to meet you where you are 
and take care of people's needs because it takes both. And Jesus is still looking for people to participate in the miracle with him. Now, all that was my introduction. Now I'm playing. But but I do want to go a little bit deeper because I want to do something with the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. I want to put these two miracles side by side. I want to do like those pictures. I don't know if you've ever seen it where it's the same picture. Maybe it's in a magazine. It's the same picture and you have to circle the differences between the picture. That's what I want to do between the feeding of the 5,000 and 4,000 so we can see what it is that we cannot forget to remember. I want to look at similarities and differences between these two miracles. The first thing I noticed in both miracles is that you had a whole lot of people and you also had a problem. You had a whole lot of people. How many know 5,000 and 4,000, that's just the men. That's not in counting, counting the women and children. It's very plausible that there were 20,000 people here. That's a lot of people. And because you had a lot of people, whoo, you had a problem. Don't forget to remember, number one, Embassy City, that you are called to problems because you are called to people. Don't forget to remember that you are called to problems because you are called to people. You cannot separate problems from people. And I know it's so easy in this season where there's so much contention and so much strife and arguing that you just want to say, I'm done with people. Let me just isolate myself. I am sick of the drama. I'll be by myself. I am tired of people. But can I tell you, even if you isolate yourself, you still gonna have a problem because you can't run away from you. Because anytime there's people, there will be problems. In fact, that's what some of these stay at home orders did for many of us. Many of us, it was the revealing of things that we had been running away from in our own lives. We had been hiding behind our busy schedules and hiding behind our careers. And when everything went on pause, we were forced to face some things that we didn't want to confront. And some of us looked in the mirror and said, I don't like what you keep doing to me. Because when you have problems, you will have have people. And guess what? God has actually called you to be a solution to a problem. So in this season, don't isolate yourself. Say, how can I be an answer to a problem? And you ought to have grace for difficult people. You know why? Because you're one of them. Yes. Don't forget to remember you're called to problems because you are called to people. Another thing that I noticed in both of these miracles is that in both of the miracles, Compassion is what started the miracle. It was the compassion of Jesus that initiated the miracle. In the feeding of the 5,000, it says that he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. He was moved with compassion. In the feeding of the 4,000, Jesus calls his disciples and verbally says, I have compassion on these people. It's one of the only times Jesus verbally says, I have compassion. Compassion is what started the miracle. Number two, don't forget to remember that compassion activates the miraculous. Compassion activates the miraculous. You want to start seeing the miraculous happen in your life? Start getting compassionate. Start caring about somebody else's need besides yourself. Get past the elementary stage of just wanting bread for yourself, but say, God, use me. Let me be a conduit. Let me be somebody that can pass bread out to somebody who is hungry. Compassion activates the miraculous. It's compassion that started it. Look at the compassion of Jesus. It always starts with compassion. I love what happened in the feeding of the 4,000 because Jesus looks out and he says, I can't send them away hungry. He said, because they will faint along the way. He said, because some of them have come from a long off, a far 
That means in thousands of people, Jesus knew with specificity how far some of them had come from. He knew their address, which says to me, you cannot have compassion unless you have clarity and concern about where people have come from, about their story, about what they face. That's how you have compassion. Have you ever been in one of those situations, you know, where you're talking to somebody and maybe it's getting heated and they are talking to you crazy? I mean, they're talking to you like they forgot you have not always been saved. Come on. And you know some words that are not in the King James Bible. You ever had one of those uh, scenarios? And you're like, oh, no, they, they, they got me messed up. I have not been saved my whole life. And they're going off on you. And you already got your response and your heart's palpitating and sweat's coming down your forehead and you're about to go off on them. But don't you just wish in that moment a pause button could be pushed and you could all of a sudden just get clarity on where they came from, what they have been through how they grew up, maybe even just clarity on what they faced that day. How many know your response would be different? Why? Because you got clarity about where they came from. You cannot have compassion unless you have concern about people's stories, where they've come from, and you cannot allow compassion fatigue to sit in just because of the day and age that we're living in because there's so much issues and so much injustice. No, God has called us to have compassion and compassion does not give you the luxury of apathy. No, you can't do everything, but you can do something. And compassion is when care and action collide. Don't forget to remember compassion activates the miraculous. Another thing I noticed, and and I'm almost done Embassy City, I, I noticed that in both miracles, the magnitude of the crowd made the disciples ask the wrong question. They asked the wrong question because they saw how many people they had to feed. In the feeding of the 5,000, they said, it would cost half a year's wages to feed this many people. Jesus, are we to spend that much money on bread? Wrong question. In the feeding of the 4,000, they said, where can we even find enough bread in this place to feed these people? Where can we find enough? Wrong question. The weight of the problem made them ask the wrong question. Number three, don't forget to remember to always ask the right question. They asked the wrong question. The weight of the problem made them ask the wrong question. And some of you right now are worried and stressed out. You know why? Because you've been asking the wrong questions. Hear me. Worry is often the byproduct of asking the wrong questions. Some of you are worried right now. You know why? Because you've been up at night asking the wrong questions. Worry is often the byproduct of asking the wrong questions. Some of you are like, give me some scripture for it. I'll give you scripture for it. Matthew chapter 6. These are not my words. This is Jesus talking in Matthew chapter 6. Look what Jesus says. He says, so do not worry. Just pause right there. That's a commandment. Do not worry, saying, here come the questions. What shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear for the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. Do you see how Jesus even connects worry to asking the wrong questions? He says, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we wear? Some of you have been asking the wrong question this season. What if there's another lockdown? What if I got to wear the mask the rest of my life? What about this? What about the job? What about the house? What about the car? What about my retirement? What about the 401k? Who you just sneezed. What if I got it? What about I, wrong questions? 
that's the wrong question. I'm not saying you shouldn't have wisdom. I'm not saying you should never be concerned. But I am saying you shouldn't be up at night stressing and asking the wrong question. Can I give you a better question? Here's a better question. Jesus asked it in both miracles. You ready? How many loaves do you have? Ooh, that's a good question because Jesus asked that question in both miracles. How many loaves do you have? I like that question. Not just because it came from Jesus, because how many loaves do you have doesn't lead to worry. That question leads to work. It makes you start trying to figure out what do I have? Yes, some things have been taken away. Yes, I've lost some things. But what do you have left? What is still with you? Come on, in this season, you need to be asking yourself, how many loaves do you have? You need to shift your focus from what's been left to what you have with you. How many loaves do you have? Oh, I'm getting excited off my own sermon. I hope they let me watch this later. How many loaves do you have? Stop focusing on what's gone and start focusing on what you have. How many loaves do you have? That question will make you grateful. That question will make you start searching for what God has given you. Yes, you lost your job, but you still got your mind. You still got your creativity. Yes, you lost some things, but you still got your pulse, which means you still got a purpose. And can I say a pandemic can't stop your purpose. You are still here. How many loaves do you have? Ooh, some of y'all not feeling me on the other side of the screen. So I brought an illustration. I brought an illustration. This is a loaf of bread. It's a little loaf of bread. It's not a fancy loaf of bread. It's not even a full loaf of bread. But guess what? This bread came straight from my pantry. I didn't order this in from Panera. I didn't have them go to Whole Foods to give me it. No, this came straight from my pantry. You see, my three kids have almost devoured all of it. It's not gluten free. It might not even be your particular brand. But guess what? It's what I have. And so many people don't ever take the time to look at the pantry of their own soul to see what has God given you? How many loaves do you have? See, you don't like that because it's easier to look online and like the pictures of everybody else's loaves and say, well, I don't have what they have. I don't have that. No, no. God is not going to hold you accountable about what somebody else has. He's going to ask you, how many loaves do you have? These are the loaves I have. I brought this. I brought this from my house. And some of you still judging my illustration because you're like, ah, Robert, you ain't got no fish. I know we didn't have any fish, okay, at the house. And the reason I didn't bring in the fish is because Jesus never asked for fish. Read your Bible. He never asked, how many pieces of fish do you have? He only asked, how many loaves do you have? That means in the process of looking for the loaves, they found out, wait a minute, I got some fish too. That means in the process of taking the time to look for what you do have, you'll discover what you didn't realize you had. I'm telling you, if you will start looking for what you have, God will reveal some things that you didn't even know you had. Oh, come on. Is there anybody this year has found some prayer that you didn't know you had? You found some worship in you that you didn't know you had because when you look for the loaves, you'll find the fish. The fish was extra. Jesus never even asked for it in both miracles. But even when they found the extra fish and even when they found the loaves, how many know they couldn't deny that even after finding it, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough in their hands. Come on, am I the only one that's ever looked at the demand on your life and then looked at your resources and what you had? And come to the alarming conclusion, this is not enough. Come on, you ever said, I, I don't have enough 
to be the father he's called me to be. I don't have enough to be the mom he's called me to be. I don't have enough to be the business leader he's called me to be. Have you ever looked at what was in your hands and said it's not enough? And can I tell you today, it will never be enough. Just mess up all your self-help stuff. It will never be enough. You will never be enough if it's going to stay in your hands. If your life is going to stay in your hands, it will never be enough. If your finances are going to stay in your hands, it will never be enough because in your hands means you have to control it. And if 2020 hasn't taught you anything, it should have taught you you are not in control. Do you know where the miracle starts is when you take what's not enough and you put it in Jesus hands, put it in his hands, put that child in his hands, put that business in his hands hands because that's where a little can become a lot put it in Jesus hands and look what Jesus does with it he takes it he thanks God for it by blessing it then he breaks it and gives it right back to them to serve the multitude now some of y'all about to shout he's like "Woo!" you know how the story ends but understand the people in the Bible didn't know they were gonna be in the Bible so imagine you are there pre miracle and you don't have enough. There's 20,000 people waiting to be fed and you give it to the master knowing it's not enough. And all he does is says, thank you. Bless it. Breaks it. And then gives it right back to you to feed 20,000 people. Wouldn't you look at it and go, uh, hold up, Jesus, you want to bless this one more time? It's a lot of hungry people out here. How many of you know the miracle and the multiplication of the bread did not start in the hands of Jesus? Come on, that wouldn't have taken faith if as soon as they handed over, it would have started multiplying. They would have gotten excited and said, oh, this is easy. No, how many of the multiplication did not happen in the hands of Jesus? It had to have happened in the hands of the disciples. Not only that, this miracle is not efficient. Why are 12 guys passing out fish and bread to 20,000 people? How long did this miracle take? Come on, Jesus, you got all power. You could have just wiggled your nose and snapped your fingers and just made everybody be full. You could have set up an in and out fish and bread station and just got everybody through there expeditiously. Why are 12 guys taking the time to pass out bread to 20,000 people? Jesus says, I wanted to take that long. You know why? Because don't forget to remember that multiplication happens through interaction. I want you to see the faces of the people you're passing the bread to. I want you to hear their stories because multiplication happens through interaction. As you engage with people, I want this miracle to take long because things multiply as you engage with other people. This is why the enemy wants to keep us divided. This is why the enemy wants your marriage separated because multiplication happens through interaction. And as they passed it out and they looked down and when they got down to the last bit, they noticed it was always enough. Multiplication happens through interaction. But here's the problem. I give the disciples a pass on the feeding of the 5,000. I get why they were stressed. I mean, Jesus hadn't done it before. I don't give them a pass on the feeding of the 4,000. I get why you were stressed the first time when you saw the crowd. But why are you stressing when Jesus did it again? The second time you saw the crowd and he said they were hungry, you should have been, oh, we've been here before. Why are you stressed the second time? Maybe it's because many of us get stressed and we're stressed out right now simply because we're in a tight spot and it's a difficult season. But don't forget to remember what God has brought you from. But I also think it's deeper with it than that. Because... I noticed in the feeding of the 5,000, the issue was 
the price. They analyzed it. They said this would take half a year's wages. Are we to spend that much money on bread? The issue was the price. The feeding of the 4,000, the issue was not the price. The issue was the place and the people. They said, where can we even find enough bread to feed these people in this place? Which made me go, what was that place? What was that place? The feeding of the 5,000 happened in Bethsaida, near the Sea of Galilee, in Jewish territory. But the feeding of the 4,000 happened in the region of the Decapolis, on the other side of the Sea of Galilee in Gentile territory. The feeding of the 4,000 happened, hear me, in a place that the disciples avoided, with the people that they didn't like, with the people that they, they thought they were better than, a place and a people they had spent their whole lives avoiding. That's where the feeding of the 4,000 took place. So no wonder they had an issue with the place and the people, they were avoiding that place and those people their entire lives. But Jesus, the master of the universe, the compassionate savior and king, took the disciples on a field trip to the other side of town to the feeding of the 4,000 in Gentile territory to let these Jewish disciples know that if you're going to be a person that passes out the bread, if you're going to be my witness to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, then you don't get to be selective with who you're going to pass the bread to. You don't get to pick who you're going to show kindness to or who you're going to love because this bread is me and the bread of life is for every single person in the world. And if you're going to be my witness, you got to know this bread is for everybody. Oh, the feeding of the 4,000 was a field trip to break the disciples' ideology and mentality on who deserved the bread of life. How many of you know Jesus is that bread and everybody needs bread. And I can see them passing out the bread with the 4,000 talking about oh, here, here having an attitude because they didn't want to be there. And Jesus says, no, you don't get to pick who, you gonna, who you're going to share the bread with. I am the bread of life. This bread is for everybody. What's interesting to me is that what Jesus did with the bread is what he did with the disciples. He took it, he blessed it, then he broke it so it could be multiplied and used more. What he did with the bread, he did with the disciples. He took them, he blessed them, but he had to break them, their mentality. He had to break the ideologies they had grown up with so he could use them more. And some of you right now are in the breaking season. This year has broken you. But can I tell you, the breaking is not to destroy you. The breaking is so God can use you more. I'll tell you, I had to learn this myself this year. This has been a breaking year for me. I'll be honest with you, I'm very transparent. It's not until this year, Embassy City, that I had a point of reference for depression 
that had a point of reference for an anxiety attack. As things begin to get shut down, I went through a season of depression, seeing racial injustice and killing and killing and murder after murder. It got me to a place where I said, God, what's the point? I haven't got to a place. I was like, God, I don't even feel like preaching anymore. But I took a field trip. Sometimes you have to remember what you've forgotten. I took a field trip to Pittsburgh, Texas. Yeah, Pittsburgh, Texas. And you're about to see a picture of me standing in front of a church in Pittsburgh, Texas. That church is the church my grandfather built. My grandfather pastored in that church and my grandmother. And I remembered the stories that my mama used to tell me how my grandmama used to lay her hands on me as a little boy and say, God's going to use you to preach the gospel around the world. And how my grandfather would hand me a mic at three years old to preach. I went back to that little bitty church and I sat in that church and God met me in a dark place, in a depressed place. I felt God's presence in that little bitty church. He met me there and he reminded me that the same God that brought my grandmother and my grandfather through is the same God that'll bring me through. The same God that opened up doors for them is the same God that'll open up doors for me and use me. You don't know who Harold Tudman is. You don't know who Fannie Mae Tudman is. But can I tell you, every time you hear Robert Madu preach, you're hearing my grandparents preach because they were faithful at a little bitty church in Pittsburgh, Texas that didn't have more than 50 people. They never traveled outside of Pittsburgh. But can I tell you, they prayed and prayers never expire. And some things you don't get to see in your lifetime, God will accomplish through your bloodline. That's why you can't quit and you can't give up and you can't throw in the towel because the breaking is not to destroy you. The breaking is so he can use you more. And I declare wherever you're watching this from, this breaking is not to destroy you. It's so God can use you more so somebody else can get the bread of life. I want to pray. I want to pray for those of you who are in the breaking season. Don't quit in the breaking. The breaking is not to destroy you. It's so he can use you more. Father, thank you that you take us, that you bless us. But Lord, even this year, we're learning. We thank you for the breaking. Because the breaking is not to destroy us. The breaking is so you can use us more. Father, we comfort people with the comfort that we have been comforted with. So God, I thank you that on the other side of this year, on the other side of this season, we're going to be able to tell people, here is the bread of life. His name is Jesus. This is the only thing that sustained me. My job couldn't do it. A relationship couldn't do it. Wall Street couldn't do it. My stocks couldn't do it. The government couldn't do it. Only the bread of life was able to sustain me. Father, thank you. The breaking is not to destroy us. It is so we can be used more in Jesus name. If you're watching this, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. I want to give you that opportunity just right where you are. That's what I love about this season. You don't have to be in a church right in your bedroom, right in your living room. You can say, Jesus, I'm surrendering my life to you. So would you bow your heads? Would you just repeat this prayer after me? Say, Jesus, I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart. You are the son of God. You died for me. You got up from the grave for me. You're coming back for me. But until that day, I surrender my life to you. I trust you in the blessing and in the breaking. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, God bless you, Embassy City. I know there are ways for you to stay connected with all that God is doing in this season. Do not be disconnected from church. Stay leaned in. And I truly believe 
the best is yet to come. Love you guys so much.